Well, it's good to see you this morning. Good to see living human people. Glad, <laughs> glad to be in your presence today. How many of you have been watching our services online over the last several months? Glory to God. That's been fun, hasn't it? Yeah. We've enjoyed that. It's been an interesting way to start a church. We told the staff earlier this week we might write a book, How to Start a Church in a Global Pandemic. <laughs> Chapter one may be called Don't. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding because honestly, I, I, I really... I wouldn't have changed any part of the way the Lord has put this together and structured it and the way the timing has all come together. Of course, we thought we'd be rolling about a year ago, but looking back on it now, uh, I'm so thankful that the Lord's given us this time because we built some things. We built some things together as a staff and as a family, and it's allowed us to, to uh, sort of get to know each other in a unique kind of way. Um, you know, mine and Sarah's entire dating relationship uh, was long distance, the whole thing. We never lived in the same state until we came home from our honeymoon. Our whole engagement, all of it, was from hundreds of miles apart. And so we spent a lot of time on the phone, like a lot of time on the phone. But I look back on it now, and I'm so grateful because all we had were those words. And you can build something when you've got words. So much of the time... Uh, when there's other distractions, and I won't get into what all those distractions are when you're physically together, but I will say, uh, when you've got just nothing but communication and you're building something together, and I'm, I'm actually, look, I look back on it now the same way. I'm thankful for that. And I know I realize that we are early in our relationship with each other. When I say we, I'm talking about Sarah and I and you as a church family. And I want to, but I want to say something to you, and I know it's early in the relationship, and I don't want you to be freaked out by it, okay? But we love you. <laughs> I know it's early, and I realize people don't always say that early in a relationship, but we do. I mean it. We love you, and we love what God is doing here. And to our church family who's watching online this morning, we love you, and we're so excited about the opportunity that's getting here quickly for all of us to be in the same place at the same time worshiping the Lord together. If you brought your Bible, I want you to open with me to the book of Luke chapter 11. Sarah, that was an excellent word. We worship the Lord with our, our, with our song, with our substance, which is what we're about to do right now, but with our service. That is an excellent word. That is exactly uh, what we want the culture of this place to be. Um, and I love that scripture, talking about those who have addicted themselves to serving addicted themselves. I'm looking at a room full of addicts this morning <laughs> who just came to get their fix, right? You just came to get a hit. And uh, that is an awesome word, addicted to serving. Thank you, Lord. So let's worship the Lord right now with our giving. I want you to look at Luke chapter 11, beginning in verse one. It says, now it came to pass as he, Jesus, was praying. So if Jesus needed to pray, what's that tell you about you and me? We should be praying. As he was praying in a certain place, when he ceased or when he stopped, one of his disciples came to him and said, Lord, teach us to pray. Lord, teach us to pray. He said, teach us to pray the way John taught his disciples. But I think it's interesting that the word shows us here, Jesus was praying. And then the disciple came to him and said, Lord, teach us to do that. Show us how you did that. Now, that should tell you something about Jesus' own fellowship with his Father. That should tell you something about the, 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 
the way he prayed and what happened when he prayed. Because I guarantee you, if it was dry, if it was boring, if it was religious, if it was repetitive, not one of his disciples would have come and said, hey, teach me how to do that. Teach me how to talk to God in a robotic way. Teach me how to pretend fellowship with God. That's not, you, you know that there was an authentic, very real, genuine communication taking place between Jesus and the Father. And it so, for lack of a better word, mesmerized the disciples that they said, we want to know how to do that. Teach us to do that. And this is where he said to them in verse 2, when you pray, say this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Now, we know this prayer as what? What do we call it? The Lord's Prayer. But really, I don't believe that's the most accurate name for this prayer. He's giving this prayer to you, to me. This doesn't just belong to him. This is our prayer. He told us to say this. And he said, when you come into the presence of God, this is what he's saying. When you talk to him, say, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And this is what I want you to notice. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I have found out that in communicating with really anyone, but especially somebody you want to be in conversation with, somebody you need to be in communication with, one of the most important things to keep on your mind as you speak with somebody is what's important to them. I figured out that the most meaningful conversations are not the ones that are just one-sided where somebody's just talk, 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 talk all about what's on their mind. But when people, when individuals are on the same page and they're thinking about the same thing, they're talking about the same thing, they're passionate about the same thing, that's when, it, that's when communication is productive. And what Jesus is revealing to us here, that the first thing that comes out of your mouth after my Father, I worship you, the first thing that should be coming out of our mouth is kingdom. What's that revelation? That's what's on the mind of God. That's what he's thinking about. That's what he's building. That's what our assignment is in the earth. The kingdom, the kingdom, the kingdom, the kingdom, your kingdom come. Do you hear that? Yours. Notice it didn't start with I, my, I need, I want, I got to have, I don't have, I wish I did have. No, your, that's a good way to start a conversation with God or anybody. (laughs) Yours. It shows that you are not so self-centered and so self-focused that you're just trapped in this little three-foot drama circle that surrounds you and you can't seem to break out of it. Man, the first thing coming out of our mouth in prayer should be your kingdom. Let's talk about your kingdom, Lord. And this is Luke 11. Look at Luke 12. Notice what Jesus said in verse 31. Seek the kingdom of God. Matthew 6 said, seek first the kingdom of God. And you know this, what's going to happen? All these things will be added to you. You know what things he was talking about in the verses leading up to this, the things that you need, your food, your clothing, a good place to live. All these things, he said, will be added to you when you seek first the kingdom. He said in verse 32, do not fear, little flock. It is your father's good pleasure to give you what? What's he want to give you? The kingdom. It's okay. You can talk back. It's all right. (laughs) Verse 33, he talked about when the Lord leads you, sell what you have, give alms, provide yourselves money, bags, which do not grow old, a treasure in the heavens that do not fail, where no thief approaches nor moth destroys, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Seek, he said, 
first. Seek first the kingdom of God. Seeking, we know from Jesus here, it's got to be our priority. It's got to be first on the list. But I've always, I've always believed this, and we've experienced it many times now in our own life, in our marriage, our ministry, that I believe there are two distinct phases of change. Two distinct phases of change. The first phase, I believe, you could call change is coming. The second phase of change, you could call change is here. Change is coming, change is here. The big part of the problem that we have sometimes is when we get these two phases mixed up and we think we're in one, but we're still really in another. When change is coming, there's something stirring on the inside of you. You've experienced this before. I know you have. We have as well. There's something stirring on the inside of you. There's, there's for lack of a better word, sometimes it's like this holy discontentment. Like, mm, there's, there's something. There's more. There's more. There's more. You want to know why you believe there's more? Because there's more. There's more. And it's stirring on the inside, and it's stirring, and it's stirring. But if you're not watchful, you will mistake that phase of change for the other one. And you'll think, well, I'm stirred up. That must mean change is here. Let's go. Let's act. Let's move. But you can't be too quick. There is a part of this process that involves some serious seeking. Seeking. What is seeking? It's time spent. It's time spent in the presence of the Lord. It's time spent in his word. It's time spent in prayer. You notice what I'm saying over and over? It's time. It's time. It's time. You're going to spend some time. How many different times have we talked with folks who've got some change stirred up on the inside? And they said, we've been praying about this for like days, you know. It's like, well, you know, I get that. I understand that. But go back. Keep praying. That was some of the best advice our pastors ever gave me. Keep praying. Stay with it. Keep seeking. Keep seeking. And what the seeking part of change is, that's preparation time. And time spent in preparation is never wasted. Never. Because if you don't spend time preparing, I promise you this, you will spend time repairing. If you don't spend time in preparation and you just haul off and do something out ahead of the leading of the Lord on, on an emotion, on a whim, on a thought, you get out there in front, I promise you, you will spend time backing up, backing up, backing up, backing up. And you're going to have to go back to the last thing he told you to do. You have to. Because until you do that thing, you're not ready to do the next. So unless we're spending the time in preparation, we'll be spending it in repairing and putting things back together. But this seeking the Lord is all about preparation. You know this, but our story is we did not get an idea one day. Colorado sounds nice. It's hot in Texas. Let's get out of here. <laughs> now, I'm not going to lie. That crossed our mind a number of times. But 10 years ago, 10 years ago this year, uh, the Lord really began dealing with us. Actually, it was in 09, but in September of 2010, Sarah and I and our little baby boy were driving I-70 through the mountains going, Lord, we've, we're hearing you say Colorado. We're hearing you lead us here. And I'll be honest, we thought it was any day, any moment. We were looking. We were looking. 
We were excited about it. We were stirred up about it. We knew for a while, change is coming, change is coming, change is coming, change is coming. And I think we thought we were a lot closer to changes here. But to an extent, we were right. It was any day. It just happened to be like 3,000 and something days later (laughs) that the Lord brought us here. And he woke that dream back up on the inside. But those 10 years were not wasted years. Come on, are you listening to me? Those 10 years were not wasted years. We laid foundation deep. We laid foundation thick. I mean, we laid foundation in our own marriage. We laid it in our ministry. We laid, it, laid solid foundation in our relationships with our team and our staff. And maybe it just took us that long before the Lord could finally say, okay, change is here. Now, that second phase of change is always quicker. The first phase can last 10 years. Ask Abraham. I mean, it can last a long time. But if you'll spend the time seeking, spend the time preparing, then when it does come, time for change is upon you. Change is here. You know it and you're ready for it. Seeking, time spent seeking is never wasted time. Amen? Amen. Amen. Seek first the kingdom of God and everything you need will be added to you. You know, we take this time during our offering uh, to fulfill this part of our assignment on this church to teach people how to prosper spirit, soul, and body. And this is a big part of our prosperity. There is no prosperity in God apart from seeking first the kingdom of God. That's rule number one. That's law number one. Key, no, Whatever you want to call it is number one. Nothing comes before seeking the kingdom. And that's one of the ways you know that you're motivated properly. That you have the right and the pure motivation in your heart when change is coming. You're not making a move because of some financial opportunity. You're not making a move because some natural door opened for you over here. You're not making a move out of frustration. You're not making a move out of boredom. You need to be able to look at yourself, look at your spouse, your family and say, okay, why are we here? Because the Lord put us here. And if we're not supposed to be here and we're supposed to be over there, then why are we supposed to be there? Is it because we're tired or bored or hot? (laughs) No, it's because he put us there. And you only find that out one way, seeking, seeking him. Does that make sense to you? Glory to God. Well, we're we're in this buy up and build out project together. You know that the Lord has put us in this beautiful place. He's given us a piece of property that causes all who step on it to look up. That's what he told us 10 years ago. He said, that's how you'll recognize the place that I have for you. It'll cause all who step on it to look up. Look up to his goodness, look up to his majesty, and I believe we've found that place. Amen? So he put us here. We're in a 30,000 square foot facility. As a church, as a family, we've released faith for $100 a square foot. And what we believe that'll enable us to do is get that sanctuary finished, get it uh, furnished, get everything on the exterior done that the county's requiring. So everything from our parking lots to our drainage to retention ponds and lighting and landscaping and the list goes on, believe me. Uh, But we can get all of that done. And I believe uh, we can, (laughs) by faith, even get it done before we hit that 100% mark. And if we do, then that'll give us a chunk to put on the principle of the place, and that won't last long either. So in Jesus' name, we're calling this place bought up and built out. So 30,000 square feet, $100 a square foot. 
last week I reported to you we were already at 25,046 square feet paid for. That put us at 83.49%, almost 83.5%. Just in the last week, we've had another 139 square feet paid for. That puts us at 25,185 square feet, right on 84%. So, glory to God. This is awesome progress. It won't last long, and if He's got us this far... He can get us all the way. Amen. The same thing's true in your life, in your home, whatever you believe in God for, whatever you're sowing towards. I mean, just take a minute and stop and look back real quick. Are you further along than you were? Are you further down the road? Have you increased? Have you prospered? Have you excelled? Well, if God can get you this far, he can get you all the way. Amen. So this is just a picture of what should be going on in every one of our homes. And if you want to be a part of this offering today, the number of ways you can get involved, we're going to put them on the screen for you. You can text to give, and this is for anybody in here watching this morning or anybody who's in our service or those of you watching online. Uh, You can text to give, just text LEGACY and any dollar amount to the number 28950. That's going to go into the general operations of the church. Um, If you'd like to give online, you can do that at LegacyChurch.Family, and there's options there. You can give to the general ops of the church, or you can give to this buy-up and build-out project. Uh, If you're writing a check, you can make it payable to Legacy Church. And again, if you'd like it to go into the buy-up and build-out project, designate it on the check. We'll make sure it goes there. Otherwise, it'll go into the general operations of the church. And out of that account, we're a blessing to other ministries. And we thank God for that ability. Uh, If you're watching online, we've got an address on your screen that you can use if you want to write a check and mail it in that way. You can do that as well. Sarah, would you come up and join me as we pray over our offering today? Glory to God. Father, we worship you. We thank you so much for your goodness, your faithfulness in our lives. We bring our seed before you, Lord, and we sow it at your direction by the leadership of your spirit. And we believe that we're sowing into good ground that produces some 30, some 60, and some 100-fold. Lord, I'm just standing here aware of testimony after testimony after testimony from people in this church family already who are seeing your goodness and your faithfulness in their lives in every area, including their finances, including their homes, including their cars and every material thing. Thank you for caring about that, Lord. Thank you for caring about that. And... You said in your word that if we would seek first your kingdom, you'd add all of it to us. So we set you first today. We seek you. And we thank you again for your presence in here. And Sarah and I declare over this congregation and every family represented in it that you are blessed. You are increased more and more, you and your children. That the windows of heaven are opened above you and God is pouring out a blessing so rich, so much, so full that there's no room to contain it. And you will be a blessing to humanity and to the people around you. And we say, rise up, advance, and may the goodness of the Lord be seen in your life. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 If you need an envelope for cash or credit card giving, raise your hand. Our ushers have one for you. We'll get one to you. Praise the Lord. If you're still writing, just take your time. The guys, when they're ready, you can wait on them. Thank you, Lord. Have we figured out if these windows open? Does anybody know that yet? That one. That one. All right. I'll take it. I hope you get a good look at this jacket because it's probably coming off here in a second. Let's get back into the word today.
Thank you guys again for being here. We're so excited about what God is doing and putting these teams together. These teams are the lifeblood of this church. Um, the Lord has not directed us in any other way as of yet to have small groups or life groups or any of that. Um, and so we, all we can do is what he says do. And right now, this is what he's told us. Put these teams together and give opp opportunity to people to serve. And it's not just because we need the help. It's because we love you and we've seen firsthand what sowing time and effort and energy and serving God by serving people, yeah. we've seen what it'll do. Yeah. We've seen the way it will prosper people over and over and over. I mean, without fail. So that's the reason we create these teams and it's your opportunity to step into your own ministry. Yeah. You know how many people sit in church and say, man, I wish I was in ministry. That would be awesome to be in ministry. Yeah. You are. You have a ministry. You just got to listen for it and then step into it. So we love our cleaning team. And let me just say this too. Thank you for, and hospitality, of course. Thank you for seeing this as an honor. Do you know how easy it would be to see something like cleaning as something low, something not of a high place or high honor? But I want to thank you for seeing that as an honorable thing. And you have no idea what it does for Sarah, for me, and for people who come to this church to step into a beautiful place, to step into a place of excellence. And if it does that much for us, what do you think it does for the heart of God? So, thus says the Lord, thank you. Thank you. Praise the Lord. Matthew chapter 12. Thank you, Lord. In Matthew chapter 12, Jesus is speaking... And we began looking at this a couple of weeks ago. The Lord's got us in a series that we're calling A House Undivided. A House Undivided. And I said this to you last week. I'm going to say it again this week. And I don't believe this is an exaggeration of any kind. But this is so critical, so important to the life of this church. The things the Lord is saying to us right now in this church, these are foundational things. And as such, this isn't going to be the last time you hear it. So deal with it. Get used to it. There are some things, I'm just realizing this now, stepping into this, this anointing to pastor in this office, never really stood in this before, but it's hitting me almost on a daily basis. There's some stuff we got to say all the time and just keep saying it and keep saying it and keep saying it and keep saying it. The more you hear it, the deeper it gets into you. Now, those of you who are faithful, when, I mean, when we get this place open and everybody can come, and those of you who are coming on a regular basis, you're going to be hearing it over and over. But there are a lot of people who treat church not as a weekly thing, as an every once in a while thing, as a if I feel like it thing, as a if I can get myself out of bed this morning thing. And so we got to say these things over and over and over in hopes that it'll be on one of the days they're here. <laughs> But I believe I'm looking at some faithful people this morning. And that's what this church is being built on. The word of God, the faithfulness of God, and the faithfulness of his people. We're talking about a house undivided. And Jesus said something about this in Matthew chapter 12. In verse 25, it says, Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation. And every city or house. So say this, say kingdom. City, City or house. In one verse, Jesus identifies the whole spectrum of society 
all the way up to the kingdom, the ruling parties, the royal family, if you will, all the way down to the house next door, the house in the neighborhood, the house down your street. And what he said was the same principle, same principle applies at every level. If you've got division in the kingdom, the kingdom fighting within the kingdom, like we talked about last week, it's not an attack from the outside, it's from the inside. It's the kingdom fighting itself. It's the people in it biting and fighting each other. And he said, if you've got that kind of strife and that kind of division in the kingdom, it will fall. It'll come to desolation. That means complete and total ruin. But the same thing's true in a city, just a smaller level, uh, a smaller jurisdiction, but the same thing is true. If you got that same stinking spirit of strife in a city that you had in a kingdom, the same thing will happen in a city that happened to the kingdom. And I say stinking spirit of strife because that's exactly what it is. It stinks. We found out from scripture last week that unity, that our togetherness, our oneness actually has a sweet aroma to it. And it's so pleasing to God. But if, aroma, if, if unity smells good, what does that tell you about strife? It stinks, man. It stinks. And there's some stuff that comes before the presence of God. Sarah talked about it today, receiving our service. That Hebrew word, that barak, that bowing down, receive that as a sweet-smelling aroma. There's some stuff that we can't smell that he does. But the same thing's true about strife. It stinks. Not only does it stink, but it, it'll bring down a kingdom, it'll bring down a city, and it will bring down a house. That spirit of strife at work in a house can, can divide it and destroy it. And that's why we talked about for a number of weeks in a row now, just recognizing Satan's whole scheme, his whole plan, because it's never changed from the beginning of time. He's always been about first deceiving, then dividing, then destroying. If he can get you believing a lie about the people in the house then he can put division between you and the other people in the house. And if he can put division between you and the other people in the house, he can destroy the whole thing. But the good news is the flip side of that. If you won't be deceived, you cannot be divided. And if we cannot be divided, we will not be destroyed. And what we're building here is more than just a physical building. It's more than an institution. It's not just a corporation. It's a house for a family. God is a father and we are his family and we are dedicating this place to him. This is his house. And if we have any hope for this house to stand, then there can be no place for division in it. If we won't be deceived, then we can't be divided. If we can't be divided, we will not be destroyed. But the, uh, the only safeguard to deception is knowing the truth. Is knowing the truth. And you only find that in one place. That's the word of God. So we are, in Jesus' name, a house undivided. We looked at this scripture as well. Go to the book of Ephesians chapter 4. And I'll remind you what we spent our time with looking at last week. What Jesus said in John 17. He was praying just hours, maybe, before the cross. And he was praying for his disciples. But then he said, I'm not just praying for them. I'm praying for everybody who will believe in me through your word or through their word. So that would include us. And his prayer for us was simple. That would, we would be one. That we would be one. So I'm in agreement with Jesus. And I believe he's got some good faith. And I'm going to come into agreement with him. And if he wants us one, 
I want us one. We want us one. Undivided. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, it says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called with all lowliness. That's the, diff- that's, that's the opposite from high-mindedness, right? The opposite of high is low. The opposite of low is high. And we talked all those weeks ago about uh, the renewing of our mind and not thinking more highly of ourselves than we ought to think. He said, I want you walking worthy of the calling. And how is that? That's with lowliness. That's humility. With gentleness. With long-suffering. Bearing with one another in love. Verse 3, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Because he said in verse, he goes on to say in verse 4, there is, say it with me, how many bodies? One One body. How many spirits? One. One spirit. Just as you were called in how many hopes? One hope of your calling. Because there is how many lords? Just one. One faith, right? One baptism. One God. There are not multiple choice gods. There's not a menu full of gods. There's just one One, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. I want you to back up to verse 3. Notice what he said there. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. What's that word endeavoring make you think? What What does that lead you to believe? Other scriptures say make every effort. What does that lead you to believe about this? That, that, that keeping unity, that being one, that having this unity that is so good and so pleasant that it's like the anointing oil that flowed down the head, down to Aaron's beard, down to the hem of his garment. What does this word endeavoring lead you and I to believe? That it doesn't just happen. That you do not just stumble across this kind of unity. This tells me that this is not natural to the flesh. It's not to walk this way in lowliness and gentleness, forbearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit. Listen to it from the Amplified Classic Edition. It says, Be eager and strive earnestly to guard and keep the harmony of oneness. The harmony and, excuse me, the harmony and oneness of and produced by the Spirit in the binding power of peace. Be eager and strive earnestly for this. So what is the motivation behind our humility? I want unity. What's the motivation behind gentleness? A soft answer, a soft word. What's the motivation behind that? I want unity. We want unity. This has got to be a high priority to us. And I am willing to sacrifice my own opinion for the sake of our unity. I'm willing to sacrifice my own ideas and my own ideology. One reason, I want to be one. I want to be one and everything I'm doing, I am endeavoring. I am eager about this. One translation, like I said, says, make every effort. I am willing to put some stuff on the altar for the sake of our unity. Endeavoring, but check this out. Endeavoring to keep the unity of what? The spirit. Now, he talks about the unity of faith in a few verses, but listen to this. The unity of the Spirit. The Amplified says the unity that is of and comes by the Spirit. See, our unity is first and foremost in the realm of the Spirit. 
And for that to make any sense to you at all, you have to live with an awareness of the realm of the spirit. You have to believe that there's something beyond what you can see, beyond what you can feel, beyond the physicality and the natural elements of this world. You and I live with an awareness of the reality of the spirit. And the Lord can do so much more in the spirit first before it ever shows up in the natural. So our unity is not just about us, and we'll see this in a minute from Scripture, it's not just about being physically in the same place. That's important, and we'll see it. But there's something deeper than that, and it's unity in the Spirit. But again, it doesn't just happen. We're not just going to stumble across this because it doesn't come naturally. It comes supernaturally. It comes supernaturally. It comes through the crucifixion of the flesh, it comes through prioritizing the things of the Spirit. And first of all, believing that there is a Spirit. A Spirit world, a Spirit realm. Do you know how crazy that makes us sound? Do you realize how different that makes you from most of the rest of the world? That you believe there's something beyond what you can see and feel? But how many of you believe that? Am I in the right house this morning? Absolutely. Let's look at this some more. This is about to get fun. In the book of Acts, go with me there to chapter 2. You ever read anything good in Acts chapter 2? In case you were wondering, we are an Acts chapter 2 kind of church. If that wasn't already obvious to you. Let's begin in verse 2. Acts chapter 2, verse 2. It says, and suddenly, somebody say suddenly. Suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind and it filled the whole house where they were sitting then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire and one sat upon each of them and they were all filled with the holy spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the spirit gave them utterance this is the original holy ghost service this is number 000001 of all the Holy Ghost services. This was the first one. This day, the Spirit of God came and filled up this house where they were sitting. And the Bible says there came a sound from heaven. A sound from heaven. Are you just doing laps? What are you doing? <laughs> you look beautiful today, sweetie. Somebody say it. There came a sound from heaven. And what did that sound do? It filled up the house where they were. Now, there is a sound that'll fill this house. There is a sound that is currently filling your house. And it's upon you and upon me to find out where's that sound coming from? Where's that sound coming from? Sometimes I ask that when I'm driving in the car and I hear a rattle or a, something clanging around in the back. Where's that sound coming from? Identify the source of the sound. And one of the interesting things we're seeing right now, I think, in church culture is this seems to be a push towards what people refer to as a modern church. And I don't know if you know this about us or not, but you'll get to know it. We're not overly concerned with that, to be called or classified as a quote-unquote modern church. And we're not trying to do something just because it's old. I'm all about 
the, the fresh, the new, the, 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 what's the hand of the Lord on? But I think sometimes we, we classify or limit that to something that just came out. Oh, we don't do that song. It's so old. We do this song. It's newer. But it's not about when the song came out. It's about where the song came from. It's not about when the sound originated. It's about where the sound originated. That's what makes it an anointed sound. It's not anointed because it came out yesterday or it's on the latest release from this place or that. That's not what makes something anointed. It certainly can be, but what makes it anointed, what puts the burden-removing, yoke-destroying power of God on that sound is where did it come from? Where's that sound coming from? That's what you want to know. Man, I got stirred up about this a couple of years ago. I was looking at this scripture. There came a sound from heaven. That sound, and it filled that house. Some of you, most of you know this, that in our house, Sarah is the music. Now, I grew up playing instruments, play a little guitar, a little piano here and there. Grew up playing saxophone in high school. I know you're impressed. Um, <laughs> but when she and I got married, I sort of just yielded <laughs> to the greater anointing. And she's the music in our home. I still sit down every now and then and try to bang something out, write a song with her or something like that. I sat down at the piano a couple of years ago and I just kept having this, there came a sound from heaven. There came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. It filled the house where they waited and it's coming to fill this house again. That's the little chorus the Lord gave me. There came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. It filled the house where they waited, and it's coming to fill this house again. Man, I was liking that. I sat down, I was banging out some chords, just little stuff that I know. And I was like, man, I, I like the way this is going. I like this, how this sounds. So I, like I said, submit and yield all of this to the music in our home. I said, come listen to this. Come listen to this song I'm working on. And it sounded so good in here. <laughs> right up here. It was beautiful. But when it came out, it came out like this old drinking song that you would imagine like a bunch of old retired Scottish sea captains standing around a bar singing with it. There came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. Yeah. This is how it's coming out. It filled the house where they waited. Sarah's just kind of looking at me like, okay. That's coming to fill this house again. And she looks at me, she's like, um, is it a drinking song? I was like, it does sound like a drinking song, doesn't it? And you can just see it, a bunch of white bearded old sea captains singing this song, just throwing back pints. And so I sort of gave up on it. We went into the office, I guess the next day, and I, we were getting together for prayer. And I told the staff, I was like, guys, I wrote a drinking song. <laughs> but I told them about it. But thank God for Lauren. She spoke right up and she said, you know, they were drinking that day. <laughs> and I was like, you're right. Act two, they were all drunk. They came stumbling out of that upper room, drunk out of their mind. I was like, I can write a drinking song. <laughs> Then the Holy Ghost hit that group 
And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and they began to speak with other tongues. And they came out of that place and people said exactly that. Those guys have been up there drinking. But then the Holy Ghost came all over Peter and he preached this message. And 3,000 people were added to the church that day. That's a Holy Ghost service. That is a service where he is in manifestation and in demonstration and he's having his way. Anybody want some of those around here? Absolutely. That's what we want. That's what we'll have. But my question is, what led up to that? Huh? What was the atmosphere that was so conducive to the moving of the Holy Spirit? What, what was going on that led up to that moment? And all you have to do is back up a verse into verse one of chapter two. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly in one accord, in one place, suddenly this was what predicated the move of the Holy Spirit in one accord, in one place, suddenly. Now, we said this a moment ago that our unity is in and by the Spirit. But there was a, a physical element to their unity. The Scripture tells us they were in one place. You back up a little bit and you find out that there was 120 of them in one place. Everybody was there. Everybody, this is what the Scripture tells us, everybody who believed in Jesus was there. That, those were back in the days when you could fit the entire body of Christ in one house. But they were all there. They were all in that one place. I'll say it to you like this. Everybody who was supposed to be there was there. Everybody who had been told by Jesus to be there was there. All you have to do is back up to the very end of Luke to find out why they're there to begin with. Jesus said one of the last things he said to him was remain in the city. Stay there until you're endued with power. He told them to be there, so they were there. But that's being in one place. That wasn't the only thing that led to the moving of the Spirit. You and I have both been in rooms full of people where everybody was there except the Holy Spirit. <laughs> So it's not just about a big group of people being in one place. There was this other thing the scripture added to it, being of one accord. Being of one accord. Now that's different. That's not a physical thing. That's a spiritual thing. That's unity in the spirit. When you look this up, you find that it means to have the same thing on your mind. To be thinking the same thing. Let me read the same scripture to you from... Uh, the Amplified Classic Bible, it says, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all assembled together in one place. And now we read over that and that just paints a natural picture. Everybody is physically in one place. But being in one accord and being assembled is much more than just natural and physical. Assembled. Everybody say the word assembled. assembled. They were all assembled. Have you ever bought your kids something for Christmas only to get it out like late on Christmas Eve and realize you didn't buy that. You bought 
pieces of that. You bought parts of that. You didn't buy a bike. You bought a box full of bike parts, right? Anybody ever done this on a Christmas Eve? It's midnight and you're thinking, dear Lord, I'm not going to sleep until New Year's. How many times have we done this? Some assembly required, right? If you want to enjoy that bike or you want them to enjoy it, then some assembly is required. Have you ever, you ever bought a piece of furniture from Ikea? You ever bought bookshelves or something like that from Ikea? No, nobody has. You've bought pieces. Come on, anybody else at all? You've bought pieces. You bought pieces of the Flergenstergen. You didn't buy the Flergenstergen itself. You bought pieces of it. But if you want to put books on the Flergenstergen, then you are going to have to assemble it. Some assembly is required. Are you tracking with me here? If you're going to get any use out of it, if it's going to be effective, if you're going to enjoy it, then some assembly is required. Well, if we're going to have a move of the Holy Ghost, if we're going to have a mighty outpouring of the Spirit of God in this place, then guess what? Some assembly is required. What I mean by that is we can't just be a box full of parts. The parts have to be put in their place. The parts that are assigned a function have to be in that place performing that function. That's being assembled. Otherwise, we're a box full of pieces. We're a box full of parts. And there's no use. You don't get any use out of that. You don't get any enjoyment out of that. And if you and I don't get any use or enjoyment out of it, guess what? Neither does he. But if we want what he wants for this place, then some assembly is required. The parts have to be put in their place and perform in their function. It's just like the, that scripture we looked at last week, we quoted it a moment ago, Psalm 133. How good and pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. And then he said it's like that anointing. Well, that's the same picture that we're talking about here. The outpouring of the Spirit of God. That's the anointing. That's that burden-removing, yoke-destroying power of God. But I want you to notice something. Where did that anointing start? Started at the head, right? And then it flowed down. And as long as every body part was in its right place, it got to experience that anointing. Because it covered him. The scripture tells us it flowed down from his head to his beard, all, all the way down to his toes. And as long as the part was in its place, then they got to experience and touch the outpouring of that anointing. Well, it was a kind of a graphic picture, but what if Aaron was missing an arm or a leg or a foot, right? What if the arm said, I don't feel like being an arm. I'm going to hang out over here. Well, does that arm that's disconnected and not in its place, does it get to experience that outpouring of the anointing in the spirit? No. The pieces and the parts have to be put in their place. Some assembly is required. And it's not just me and you being physically present. Now, that's a good start. Please don't misunderstand me. I am still telling you, come to church. Do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together. So come, but don't just sit in here like a box full of parts. There's some pieces that need to be put in their place. Yeah, that's good. To be of one accord, 
Let's talk about this just for a minute. What does it really mean? Well, like we said, it means to have the same thing on your mind, have the same thing in your heart. You don't have to turn there. Let me read this to you from the book of Romans chapter 5. No, excuse me, Romans 15, verse 5. He said, now may the God of patience and comfort grant you to be like-minded toward one another according to Christ Jesus. That's the same thing as what the scripture told us, have the mind of Christ. And we looked at that a number of weeks ago. The mind of Christ is the mind of a servant. Let this mind be in you that was also in Christ Jesus, who thought, not, thought it not robbery to be called equal with God, but emptied himself of that and became a servant, put on flesh and became a servant. That's the mind of Christ. But this is what he says in verse six, that you may with one mind, how many minds? One. one. With one mind and one mouth glorify the Lord and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So our assembling, our unity, our oneness has to do with, I'm going to give you three things today. It does have to do with being in one place. One place. How do you identify the place that you're supposed to be in? I know there are a lot of pastors, a lot of churches that would assume everybody's supposed to be here. But I don't want to be guilty of that because I know it's not true. We want you in the place that God's anointed you, God's appointed you, God's assigned you to be in. If you're not supposed to be in this place, you need to find the place where you're supposed to be and get in it and stay in it and don't let anything talk you out of it. Be in that place, physically present in that place. And again, there's a reason they were in the place they were in in the upper room because Jesus told them to be there. That's the only proper motivation for being anywhere. I mean, I need to be able to look up at my wife at any given day or time and say, why are we in Colorado? Why are we building a church in Green Mountain Falls? Why? Why? One reason. Jesus told us to. End of story. We have to be able to say that to each other. If we cannot say that with confidence, then what confidence can we have to prosper here, to thrive here, for there to be anything good come out of this? But if I know... Come on, listen, church. If I know that I am in the place, the one place, I'm not scattered, I'm not in a bunch of places, I'm in the place that Jesus assigned and anointed me to be in, then I'm in the right place. And you know, we say this with our kids all the time. We pray it nearly every night that by the leadership of his spirit, that we would always be in the right place at the right time, doing the right thing with the right people. It's so important that we're in the one place. One place. Being of one accord is being in one place. But it's not just that we've seen. It's also being of one mind. Yeah. One mind. Do you know what kind of Holy Ghost services we can and will have in this place if we'll get the same thing on our mind? I used to think about this years ago. I would watch these DVDs a lot of, that tells you how long ago it was now, DVDs of these big uh, concerts where these, these major worldwide bands would come into a place and just pack out a place in the States or in Europe or somewhere else, and there'd be 50 or 80,000 people in this place. I was so fascinated by that atmosphere. And we talk a lot about that in our church, that the atmosphere matters. 
And that's always been fascinating to me. We step into an environment like that when there's so many people. It would be hard for you to find one person in that crowd of 80,000 who was bored. It would be hard, wouldn't it? Well, you might think, well, yeah, I mean, depending on the band you're talking about or the performer, the artist, they're the reason it's so electric in there. Well, they may be good. They may be world-class. They may be the best at what they do, but that atmosphere is not all up to them. You take that same artist out of that environment and put them in some other room where nobody's ever heard of them. Nobody knows the songs. It's not an electric environment. There was an old story about a famous country Western artist, famous for playing, I think, the Grand Ole Opry. And he got invited into a uh, nursing home, a home for elderly people, to play a show for them. And he got up there. He's world-known, world world-renowned. He got up there. He's playing. And he's doing his hits one out of the other. And they are just sitting there staring at him. And it's like nothing, you know, just totally empty nothing. And he finally stopped and looked at them and said, do you know who I am? And one little old lady stood up and said, no, but if you go to the front desk, they'll tell you. <laughs> when you... When you take something out of one environment and put it in another, it's not guaranteed to have the same effect. You take that same person who performs in a stadium like that where 80,000 people and it's electric, you put them in the nursing home and it's not electric. The chairs maybe are, but the, the, the wheelchairs, but that's about it. There's, there's no excitement. There's no enthusiasm. Atmosphere matters. And you think about 80,000 people descending on one place, driving from miles and miles and miles around in every direction. What do you think they talked about the entire way there? Huh? This is going to be amazing. This is going to be good. This is going to be great. Oh, I can't wait. I can't wait. I can't wait. Oh, I hope they do this song. I love this song. And they crank it on the room. They're singing it out loud. And they're just excited and stirred up. And oh, it's going to be great. 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 And you got that many people with the one thing on their mind, how great this is going to be. And not only are they thinking this, but it's coming out of their mouth. It's coming out of their mouth. Oh, I can't wait. I can't wait. I can't wait. And it's not just that day. For many people, it's weeks, weeks in advance. I can't wait. I can't wait. What is that? It's an excitement. It's stirring on the inside of them. And when you put that many people in an environment, environment like that, who've all been thinking the same thing, and then when that first note is struck and that lead singer belts that first word to that song and 80,000 people all know the words and it's coming out of their mouth, that's called unity. And it does something. It does something to an atmosphere, to an environment. Now, I know we don't have 80,000, but you know how many Jesus said you needed? Two or three. Two or three. He said, if I could get two or three of you together in my name, I'd be there. 
You talk about an electric atmosphere. You talk about a charged environment, one where Jesus is in manifestation. And yeah, maybe that band needs 50,000 people. Jesus just needs a couple of us. He needs two or three of us in agreement, assembled together, not just physically in the same place, but in the same place in our heart, in our mind, and in our mouth. This is important. His words coming out of our mouth. This does something. We'll be a house undivided when we're thinking the same and talking the same and driving into this place, not fighting, not in strife with each other, not letting division in the car. You may be in the same car, but you're miles apart. You've experienced it. I have too. We can be physically present in the same house and there be this great gulf between us. It's not just physical. It starts there, but they're supposed to, we're supposed to be assembled in our heart and our mind and in our mouth. And what a, what a hard switch it is to make. If you spend 15, 20 minutes driving to this place, fussing with each other, annoyed at each other, agitated with each other, what a hard switch it is to open the door and be like, bless you, brother. Hey, oh, highly favored and blessed of the Lord. How are you? It's just fake and it's phony and it's just not honest and God's not in it. You can dress it up all you want to, but you are denying the power. There's a form of godliness. Looks like, looks like worship. Sounds like worship. But if we ain't in the same place, if we're not actually being assembled, if we're just a box full of parts... This worship is producing nothing. But when we are assembled, we can do good things. The Lord can do good things. I was reminded of this scripture. Put it on the screen for us and we'll wrap it up. Uh, 2 Chronicles chapter 5, verse 11. I want you to see this. Do you have that for us? 2 Chronicles chapter 5. It's in the Old Testament. There it is. Listen to what it says. It came to pass when the priest came out of the most holy place for all the priests who were, I can't wait to the next slide, (laughs) present, so physically in the same place, right? All the priests who were present had sanctified themselves without keeping to their divisions. Gosh, there's so much in this that we could be talking about, huh? The Levites, verse 12, who were the singers... All those of Asaph and Heman and Jeduthun with their sons and their brethren stood at the east end of the altar clothed in white linen. You know, there's another element to this here. Our unity is not just about being physically in the same place, but about us being of one heart, one mind, one mouth. But you know what? We're all supposed to be wearing the same thing. You look at those concert footage and how many of those people all have the tour t-shirt? Right now, I'm not talking about you and I having a uniform that we come to church in, but the scripture talks to us about being clothed with humility, putting on the Lord Jesus, putting off the old man, putting on the new man. This is unity. This is oneness. And they were all even dressed the same, all in white linen. 
having cymbals, stringed instruments, and harps. And with them, listen to this. This is really cool. 120 priests sounding with trumpets. Dad, you'll like this. How many were in the upper room? 120. Now, I don't even know what all that means. I think it's something, though. I just did a quick little Google search. I'm not really like a numerology kind of guy. I know it's significant. I know there's stuff in it. I just don't know what all of it is. But I did find this, that God said in the book of Genesis, the days of man would be 120. So one person wrote that the number 120 can represent the end of flesh. The end of the flesh. When the flesh ends... What do you get into? The spirit. Glory to God. The end of the flesh. Holy Ghost Goosey's up here. All right. With 120 priests sounding with trumpets, indeed it came to pass when the trumpeters and singers were as one to make one sound, to be heard in praising and thanking the Lord when they lifted up their voice with the trumpets and cymbals and instruments of music and praised the Lord saying, for he is good, for his mercy endures forever. Now think about this. 120 singers and musicians. That's a big band. Now I've been around creative people. I've been in bands when there's four or five of us. Do you know how hard it is to get four or five creative people to agree on the song we're going to do and the tempo we're going to do it at and the key we're going to do it in and how we're going to do it? It can be very difficult to get creative people and, and artists and musicians to all agree on one thing. This alone is a miracle of unity. 120 people and they all decided we're going to sing this song. How's the song go? It's a simple one. He is good, and His mercy endures forever. Now, evidently, that's God's favorite song. Because when they sang that, the house, what was it? The house. Not the building, not the institution, not the corporation, the house. The house of the Lord was filled with a cloud so that the priests could not continue ministering. The King James said they couldn't stand because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled the house of God. Why? What, what predicated the cloud filling up the house? What led up to the glory of God being so thick and so strong that those priests and those singers couldn't even stand up? What was it? Unity. One man making one sound. Where do you suppose that sound came from? That was a sound from heaven. And it filled that house. It filled that house. And nobody was like, oh man, the mercy song, we've been singing that for hundreds of years. Nobody said, is there something else we can sing? Is there a new one? No. These people had been singing this song generation after generation after generation. But evidently, it didn't matter when the song came out. It mattered where the song came from. Praise the Lord. Glory to God. Stand up on your feet. Thank you so much for tuning in today. We hope you enjoyed this message. If you need someone to pray with you, there are several ways for you to contact us. Feel free to give us a call at 817 
577-0180. You can also contact us through the Legacy Studios app or either of our websites. Giving options are available online at pearsonsministries.com and legacychurch.family. If you prefer, you can also text an offering. Simply text LEGACY in any dollar amount to the number 28950 and follow the prompts. Be blessed today. We love you. And remember, you are always welcome here in the House of Faith.